Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. This is Ben Palaz. I'm the pastor for Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And I'm joined by... None other than the Tony Tresoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. The Reverend Tony Trussoni. So, you know, you got to give the full title. The Irreverend Reverend. <laughs> well, if this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast to equip pastors and children's workers and parents as they minister to the kids that God's entrusted to their care. Uh, we try to think about how a basic and a working knowledge of the Bible's overall teaching affects how you minister uh, from the things that you teach to the methods that you use. So today we've got a kind of a big picture topic that relates very closely to the title of our podcast. Now Tony, you know of Gallup Research and, and George Barna and these kind of guys. Well, George Gallup and another researcher, Jim Costelli, they, based on their research, they tell us that Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they've become a nation of biblical illiterates. Now, Al Mohler, he's the president of Southern Seminary, he summarized some research in an article. He said that uh, 82% of Americans think that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Now, the good news is those that self-identified as born-again Christians, they did better, but only by 1%. So, got a lot of people in the pews that think that's in the Bible. Now, a majority of adults thought that the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is to care for one's family. So, clearly, we have a problem, and it didn't spring up overnight. Uh, and this problem came from the church and from the home. So, we want to talk today about trying to right that ship a little bit. Uh, we don't want the kids that are in our care, and that's our own children, but also the ones to whom we minister, to end up as one of those unfortunate statistics. And listen, we don't just want to fill their heads with facts. We want them to know and to love and to trust and follow this glorious God that Scripture presents. So, Tony, with that, let's get to it. Should we have a plan for how we teach kids God's Word? Or as long as we're giving them a Bible story every week, I mean, does it really matter? Yeah, before I answer, I do want to comment. You know, you cite Al Mohler in that, and I think Al Mohler is an interesting case. Of, and he probably wouldn't be able to know too much about uh, illiteracy, because if you haven't seen his library before, I encourage you to go see it. It's the size of a small city. <laughs> I think it might be bigger than my house. So probably bigger than our houses combined. <laughs> and that's not saying uh, negative on our houses. That's definitely a positive on the size of his gigantic library. It's impressive. Yes, it is. Uh, I think we must teach the Bible as one great story. You know, I think in that it is so important to tell it as the great story of King Jesus rather than our story of, of how we live and how we respond. And, you know, as the story of King Jesus, it's one story working together through, uh, through that big story filled with many meta-narratives. Uh, the order of the Bible, I think, then is important to understand in context and how this whole big story folds out, how it unfolds. You know, I think one example of how this is the case is if you were to preach through judges with children after after Acts, and if you were to act as if the events of Judges happened after the events of Acts, you'd have a dramatically <laughs> different interpretation of Judges. And you certainly would not think that Gideon was going to be in heaven if that were the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Corinth had its issues, but... <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, Corinth 
definitely looks far better than uh, Judges. So if Cor- the Corinthian church was in Judges, it would be the Holy Church in Judges. You know, and I think even a way that we can even see this is I'm, I've become a big fan of First and Second Chronicles as I work through it and some lessons for our children. I think First and Second Chronicles is meant to be not just one repetition of First and Second Kings, but instead it is the story of the kings of of Judah as well as the priesthood in Judah. And it was essentially trying to see if, who is the priest king. It's prophesying of this great king that was coming that would be the priest king that would intercede for the people. And it was comparing every one of the kings to that standard and showing how every one of the kings failed and showing especially how they failed in relationship to the great temple and you know I think in a lot of ways this analogy for the whole Bible you know the Bible is telling one continued story even many of our narratives are meant to tell us how even these really great patriarchs didn't meet up to the standard that God expected and in that you know I think we need it helps children as we go through it read the Bible as actual literature. It's not some magical, mystical book, you know, that uh, pulls out different lessons based on how we feel at a given moment. But it is truly literature, though it is from God. And I think in that understanding, genre is so especially important to understanding the whole of Scripture. You know, understanding that where something's placed in the canon, but understanding how the Bible is put together. You know, if, if we don't have a plan. The reality is that we will just end up teaching what we think is important to our children, not what God think is, thinks is important. You know, I think this really kind of relates to a truth that I've heard expressed about expository preaching, that I think one of the benefits of expository preaching is it, it takes sermons away from being the what the pastor feels at the moment. Rather, expository preaching is guided by the text, and what God's emphasis is becomes the sermon's emphasis. In the same way, I think when we go through the Bible, our emphasis become God's emphasis rather than us just repeating stories that we want kids to hear. And Because the truth is we want to make them Christ's disciples. We don't want to make them little Tonys or little Bens, do we? No, there's much that I would not want them to copy from me that I'm trying to to change and repent and, and yeah. turning to faith in Christ. Uh, and I thought you hit us on really important points. I mean, In one sense, you give them the Bible, it's God's Word, but to have some plan to teach them the overall content of the Bible, you know, the Old and the New Testament, the the different covenants, these major promises that form, help form the story um, in major figures and events and major institutions like the nation of Israel itself or the priesthood or the tabernacle, the, the monarchy, the kings, because those figure in the story, not just as another detail, but they are really uh, shaping the story, and so it helps them see that it's God's doing something in history. You know, these are events, and that's why I don't like calling them Bible stories. I try to call them accounts yeah. or something to give the, yeah. the idea this is this is not just fairy tales, but yeah, that it's going somewhere and what God is doing. He's making promises and keeping them. Yeah, and when we do just that Bible story approach, like you mentioned, we end up skipping uh, much of what you referred to. You know, like the sacrificial system, that typically the Bible story approach is going to skip most of the minor prophets, because as well as the pe- most of the Pentateuch, because they're the kind of the boring books, even though Jesus sees them as vitally important. Mm-hmm. And they are vitally important when we understand them in light of the grand narrative of Scripture. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Should the plan that we have differ from how we teach adults? And does it depend on the level of biblical knowledge of the kids or the adults? 
Yeah, I think that detail level should certainly differ without question. You're going to give some details, especially in so certain passages that uh, with adults that you would never give to kids and really that you shouldn't give to kids. But I do think that it's going to have some similarity. Sometimes it can be good, actually, even like, for example, in a Sunday school curriculum, if we all talk about the same kind of things. Sometimes I, I've seen some churches that will be teaching the same truths to the adults as to the kids. Now, a lot of times, the truths that are taught to adults are shaped by what the kids can understand, uh, understand as I'll mention a bit, but that's largely for the case of encouraging family worship, that all the family that comes to church together is working through the sa these same truths, and I think there's a lot of benefit of that, but, you know, I think there are things that you can't do, kids in some ways. I think it would be great sometimes in the pulpit to preach a 10-20 week sermon series on Galatians but I think it would be unusual and I'm not sure that a, a child would be able to follow a 10 or 20 lesson study of Galatians and their Sunday school and their Sunday school especially at like preschool level would you? Yeah I think uh, that's yeah the logic's pretty tight there and so it just their reasoning abilities are not quite as formed and I think it again if you have adults that are new believers that's going to shape how you teach them and I know on in non-Christian context or non-Christian background context um, Bible storing in the sense of uh, well some of in oral cultures but this creation to the cross they're, they're, they're shaping a biblical worldview not just hey you should trust in Jesus to forgive your yeah. sins that makes no sense and some of you know if they have no idea who, who the Christian God is and so starting at creation and showing them the what God has been doing in history so I think it just depends on the situation but um it's important to show the kids the whole picture as well as adults. Yeah, and I think if you don't, sometimes you run into the danger of just repeating the same thing over and over and over again, too. You know, I, I think every single curriculum that I've looked at for kids' curriculums, especially the story-focused one, is going to tell the story of Dave and Goliath. So you'll have kids, then, that when you don't have that approach that you're mentioning, you know, that will just get Dave and Goliath 38 times between their third birthday and their seventh birthday, but never hear who King Hezekiah is, for example, who's hugely important in the Bible storyline. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, and David and Goliath is impressive display of God's power to save his people, but King Hezekiah does some pretty significant things too, and you can make sense of the Bible's big picture without David and Goliath. Now, you need David, but you don't necessarily need David and Goliath, but yeah, it's just some stories are more famous than others, some accounts. So, Tony, how can we integrate theology as we're teaching the biblical content. I 100% believe that we need to. It is so vital. And, you know, I think the lack of doing that has caused many of the problems that you've mentioned today, as well as some other problems. You know, you mentioned biblical literacy issues, but there have been other studies that have shown the extent to which people that are members for churches have been part of children's ministries for decades and don't understand basic, very fundamental biblical theology. There was a recent Lifeway study with Ligonier that I think showed that to be the case in really depressing and unfortunate ways. But I think some ways that we do integrate that is, I think, pull out ba basic theological truths from the text as we're studying, as we're teaching through the text. For example, you know, if you're teaching uh, through the story of Noah, don't just teach be nice like Noah was nice, nicer than people, which in some ways he wasn't. <laughs> the uh, 
I mean, he did something really horrible right after the flood. Instead of teaching that, Noah shows the depravity of man. The, the account of Noah and the flood shows just how bad humanity is, that we're basically bad by God's standards. Uh, you know, as you teach through the sacrificial system, which most story-focused ones are not going to teach about, we can talk about God's holiness and what that means, what holiness means, and why that's an important truth to understand. You know, when we go through Jesus' bat, talk about Jesus' baptism, which is often taught to children, I think that's an excellent opportunity to explain what the Trinity is, mm. you know, and how that affected that specifically. And, you know, and I would encourage with that, don't be afraid to pause to explain worldview and worldview as you go through the text and the differences of our worldview, our natural human worldview and the worldview that the text is trying to communicate. You know, I think another one specific way might be how work salvation is so combated by scripture, especially when you're in the law, when you're in the Pentateuch. This idea that we go to heaven through being good enough or nice enough, I think it's combated by so much of, of scripture or even the stories that we want to communicate. So one way that we tried to do this at our church was when when we taught the Ten Commandments, so many churches teach the Ten Commandments to kids is go and do thus, go and do these Ten Commandments. But Jesus actually teaches them in a very theological way and shows that the Ten Commandments are in a lot of ways given to show our own depravity and our inability to be saved by works, that instead we need to be saved by perfect works from someone else. So we created uh, as a activity instead of a normal craft, we created a bowling game where kids were blindfolded by a sin, quote-unquote, and were asked to knock down 10 bowling pins after being spun around. Now, do you think any of the kids could knock down their 10 bowling pins? And they had all the commandments of the law written on the bowling pins. How many of the pins do you think most of the kids got? <laughs> I'm guessing none. Yeah, none. But then after that, we had a character uh, pretend to be Jesus, and he knocked him down for them. The and he gave them a ten, a strike on their scorecard if they if they trusted in what he had done for them. And you know, I think that's the way. You know, how we can integrate theology into our teaching. Yeah, I th sometimes people hear theology and they think, oh, it's dry, it's boring. You got to use these big fancy words, but that's not what it is. Just as you start to see the bigger picture of of the story that Scripture is telling and what God is doing, you start to be able to make statements about this is who God is, this is the way God uh, acts towards people, and you get to see who we are uh, across the scope of it. And so we're just able to, I mean, that, that's that's all it is, is just is integrating these different parts and saying, okay, we are getting a complete picture of, of who this, or I say complete, complete as scripture wants to tell us, not that we can exhaust all that. I mean, I think we're going to continue to see his grace and glory into eternity. But yeah, it doesn't have to be this intimidating thing. It's just drawing out bigger pictures of who God is. What harm is there in just teaching a Bible story or a lesson just week after week? I mean, is there harm? I think there can be a lot of harm, unfortunately. I think one of the big ones is kids can know the stories of their faith without ever knowing their faith. And I think that this is shown so apparent. Again, the surveys I talked about recently, and so many of these kids 
there is, as much as we have lack of biblical literacy, almost everybody knows who David and Goliath is. Almost everybody knows these notable stories that we've chosen to be important for whatever reason or not. You know, People know who the Good Samaritan is that don't know some basic truths of, of, of theology. And I think that that's dangerous. When they know the stories of their faith without knowing their faith, it, be, it becomes just a way to be good. You know, Just examples of ways to be good rather than examples of understanding who God is is and seeing how these people even saw the character of God and fail themselves. You know, I think in a lot of ways, just giving the Bible story is kind of like uh, for Valentine's Day this year that I gave my wife uh, some flowers that, that some flowers that had been cut out from the ground, obviously. They were wrapped up and, you know, we're supposed to put them in water when we get home. But they weren't, weren't in any soil. They had no roots left. And these flowers were great and they were great for her for a time. But they had nothing to take root and grow. That because they were just the flower apart from the deep roots that they have, apart from understanding truly uh, where where it comes from. Now, if I had given her a flower in a vase that has the roots deep in the soil, that she could have planted that in our yard, and it would have taken root, and it would have grown, and it would have produced more flowers like it through understanding what it truly is. And I think that is kind of like what we're doing when we're teaching just the Bible stories. We're giving the cut-up flowers. It might look pretty, but it will never grow into anything much. And, you know, and I think Hebrews 11, especially uh, the Hall of Faith, I think really describes it in this kind of ways, that it shows that these stories of the Bible exist to show how these deeper truths are lived out, not as an end unto themselves. And and lastly, I'd add that we are not truly representing the stories in themselves when we do that. These are not stories, like I said, in a vacuum. You know, you might hear, for example, the Gideon story. The story of Gideon as a way to make good decision by putting out your fleece. Even adults hear that as that way sometimes. But not understanding the context and the biblical context and the theology of, of trusting God and the fact that even in God's law, because of who he is and who his character is, God can, that condemns doing things like testing God in that kind of way. Mm. Yeah, those are some helpful points. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the end, if we don't show a bigger picture of what God is doing, like you said, these, these stories, these accounts are not in a vacuum. And so the Bible is not just this big storybook, this collection of fables, um, but it's actually an account of what God is doing for his people in the world uh, to bring salvation. Now, let's call it the popcorn method where you just kind of pop around here and there. What could that popcorn method convey to children and their parents about Scripture? I mean, I just alluded to a little bit, but I'm sure you've got some, some more thoughts on that. Does the popcorn have butter on it? Because if so, yum. <laughs> Put a little Parmesan cheese on there, man, that's good. Yeah, sounds like it. So maybe some caramel. Uh, <laughs> I think teaches that the Bible is a random collection of stories, like collections of nursery rhymes. Like I think we mentioned in a previous podcast. I think that's really ultimately how it presents the nature of the Bible. This random collection of nursery rhymes. I mean, we have at home a bunch of mother goose rhyme type things, and just randomly assorted. And you know, and they're great for what the, what they accomplish. You know, they accomplish help kids learn some nice life lessons, but they're nothing more than that. There's certainly nothing that's useful for us in understanding the nature of life. And I think that's kind of an understanding of how they, to how they teach kids. And I think 
that it further it teaches the kids that the Bible is all about go and do thus and that mm-hmm. and not understand that the Bible is about what is gone and done for us. Right. I think it just it teaches wrong things of what we should expect, what we should look for from Scripture. And it just it loses the element that God is a promise-making and keeping God. Not that kids Amen. couldn't understand he, he, God tells the truth, He does what He says, but that Scripture, again, it's, it's primarily about Him and not about us and what we should do. We're not at all denying that there are moral implications that come out of this, that when you know, Jesus, he, he makes a new creation, there's a new life there, there's new spiritual taste buds, and then we go and we respond to that, um, and, and we show what He's like in the world, but that's not the first thing that we look for. Those taste buds still realize popcorn is delicious, by the way. They do. Yes, I had some with chocolate on it last night. It was great. Why do you think that this popcorn method is found kind of regularly in curricula that's out there? It's not always. I mean, there are some that go through large sections of Scripture or just chronologically go through the whole thing. Uh, but it's not uncommon to find just, you know, you got a lesson from Judges, and then you got one on Noah, and then you have one on Paul, and then you go back to King David, and it's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, I first I want to talk about the part of which I think can be have an honorable intention in it. I think that they have a desire to make things varied and exciting for children. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not something I would encourage as being the main thing by any stretch of the imagination as being the most important thing. But, you know, they I think that they really do want to teach the Bible in a way that is more exciting and varied than they think teaching it chronologically would be. You know, but and more negative ways, I think children's ministry tends to be more about character development than about teaching biblical truth. I think that's been shown for many years that it's about uh, character development, and I think that's why often some so many curriculums can be taught in the, by very, very liberal churches and very, very conservative churches at the same time, because both of which want their kids to be good people, mm-hmm. uh, even though they have very dramatically different theological viewpoints. Uh, you know, and I think many who develop, develop these curriculums lack a biblical or theological depth. I think, frankly, many of those who write curriculums don't have a theological training, don't have the knowledge of the Word to be adequately teaching children. Mm. That's a strong statement, but yeah, I mean, I've seen that question floated out there, um, and, and I don't, I don't know, I, I don't I have not been to the offices of any publisher to interview people, uh, but sometimes it does leave you wondering. Yeah, this just seems to lack. Not that it's you know, sounds like the person was not intelligent, but just full knowledge of the the breadth of the word and everything that's going on. Um, and neither one of us are experts on on anything, and- but. <laughs> No, we're not. But I do think it is very much the case that if you do research sometimes even into some curriculums, that very often uh, there's more of a focus on finding educators that have maybe a little bit of Bible knowledge than a focus on finding biblical experts that have that have the skills to be able to articulate truth to children. Yeah, and I think that's a key distinction. Someone may know a lot about developmental things in children, and that's really helpful. But if they can't handle the Word, they don't need to teach children the Word. They could talk to people about how to how to relate to children with their developmental stages and, and that kind of thing. You know, what you're talking about, te- teaching children to be moral, I think a lot of times parents, they're, they're okay with their children going to church and thinking, I need to take them to church because I want them to be a good person. They need to learn some morality, and if we p- throw the God card in there, it puts extra weight on it. 
But again, that's not the first thing we're after. We, we want new creations. We want people whose lives are transformed by the gospel. But uh, we're not simply into ch- teaching children to be good. And so, no. you know, just finding these moral principles, sometimes it can be easier to just kind of scan through the Bible or find different places and, and find these moral principles to go do this, go do this, don't do this. Uh, it does take a little more work to read the whole thing and to be familiar with it and to teach from the vantage point of the whole thing. And so I think that some of the problem may be there. I mean, essentially, to, to teach children or adults or anyone, we just need to be very familiar with it. And so that takes work. Well, how can parents have a plan at home for how to teach what, you know, the, the scope of Scripture? For us, and the, I'm going to speak for me personally, we have been benefited and blessed uh, by going through whole books of the Bible and family worship. And I think sometimes that can teach the scope and how to understand how the Bibles fit together. Again, not just as a collection of stories, but as one great a great narrative. And so even going chronologically or in order through a book of the Bible, I think can be helpful to teach, you know, that uh, we don't study Jesus' baptism after we study Jesus' resurrection as we went through Matthew together, for example. And I think that was a way that that we can have we could have a plan and be intentional in that kind of way. And I'd encourage that same kind of mentality. Don't just pop around with your kids when you're doing family worship, but instead, you know, I'd seek to intentionally teach through these things. And and other ways that don't just go through one specific book. Uh, there's the Long Story Short book or Old Story New Book, which are some books by Marty Machowski that are really excellent resources, especially for parents of elementary age kids. And they, they're developed in order to teach through the whole of Scripture and teach how it ultimately points forward to Jesus. But it goes kind of through an order of different accounts and different passages rather than just staying in one book. And and it goes in order to develop this plan. And I think one other thing that can be hugely helpful also, especially with having a plan to teach theology, is combine it with a catechism. And I know catechism is a big ugly C word sometimes, but uh, catechism can be a great way to teach your kids basic doctrinal truth. And we at our at our home when we do family worship as I mentioned before we go through something called the Norse our catechism to teach some basic truths about who God is while at the same time learning learning about the Bible in our Bible time hmm. as I thought through this and listened to you talk I thought you know I was a little bit convicted that there are times where we have popped around sometimes if there's a pressing issue that day or just in that season we may pop around a little topical because there's some things I want to kind of drill down on I guess I don't feel that bad about doing that, um, but we try to go through larger portions, uh, and then so we've, we've spent a fair bit of time in the Psalms as well. And certainly I think that there's a lot of room for freedom mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, you know, and even freedom in general. You know, we have some King Cadets as our program for teaching children during the worship service, and it goes three years, two years through the Old Testament, one year through the New Testament books. And, you know, it goes in order. It goes in order of the books of the Bible. But there are some people that would do things that we wouldn't, that we, during Christmas time, for example, we don't have a specific week dedicated to prophesying the worth of Jesus beforehand. You know, we don't 
don't have King of Hats on Christmas Day, but some Sunday schools might not even take a break for Christmas Day. Uh, other Sunday schools might say, even if we're in, say, we're learning about Exodus, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day and for Sunday school. And I think certainly there's room for that kind of uh, freedom, so long as we're teaching the whole Bible in general. Yeah, I agree. And, and I don't think it's uh, the case that you have to only teach the next passage or the next book. And I mean, even on a church-wide level, you know, it's not like you have to start at Genesis and then you can't deviate until you get the Revelation. Um, but just showing that there is there is sequence. And even in some biblical passages, the the writer makes the case. I mean, I think of Paul making the case about the time of when God did this. Then he did this other thing after, he, like with yep. Abraham. And so the sequence of the events mattered. I mean, it's it's pivotal to the argument. It all falls apart if these things weren't in the sequence. And so it's important for us to pay attention to that. And again, it just it it, it reveals what we think about Scripture, what we we view it as, and how we use it. Now, how can churches partner with parents to help them? Because some parents say, well, I, you know, I'm not a theologian. I don't know this or that. So how can churches come alongside them so that they can help parents as they try to teach the full scope of Scripture at home? I think what you do, to toot your horn, <laughs> that, oh, I'm not sure uh, what I, I do. <laughs> really helpful. <laughs> well, I, I see a lot of times on social media and Facebook, you'll post. You guys have your own little devotional that you encourage people to go through, I think based upon the Gossip Project, if I recall correctly. And you encourage parents to have uh, family devotions based upon those lessons as they kind of go through in order. Uh, that is, uh, I think that can be a great way that churches partner with parents in that kind of mentality. And, you know, I think churches uh, wanting to do this can similarly uh, pick a good curriculum to teach the children and then a good curriculum that has helpful take-home work mm -hmm. and encourage parents to do those take-home works. Not just make the bridge between church and home, as we talked about in another podcast, but to help kids to continue to follow through that scope of Scripture while at the same time perhaps mom and dad on, on that the other day of weeks in family worship are reading through the Gospel of Matthew or Ruth or something else like that. And I think encourage parents that ask connecting questions as they read the Bible with their kids. Connecting questions as in, as you re, as parents are reading through the Bible with their kids, encourage parents to ask the question, when you're in Genesis, when you're in the story of Noah, how does this relate to the story of Jesus? You know, how does, as we talk about the Exodus, what does the Exodus tell us about what God's trying to do for us, especially in the story of King Jesus? Mm-hmm. To toot somebody else's horn, I mean, I got the idea from Sojourn, I think there's Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, they've got their own children's, family children's ministry website. And so I kind of adapt what they do, use some of the stuff Lifeway. And so, I mean, it's, you know, it's my voice, but I'm borrowing pretty heavily from them too. And I give them credit at the bottom. So I don't think I'm plagiarizing. But yeah, we're just trying so to. Lots of horns are getting tooted here. Yes, yes. We have. I've had some some feedback on that from our church, and people have found that helpful. So um, I pray that it continues to be. And I, with my my oldest daughter is five, and so she's getting to the point where we talk about things, and then I start trying to bridge things and ask her a question like where this is going in this the scope of the Bible, and she's starting to get that okay, and not the, the just the pat Sunday school answer. Jesus is you know 
it, it, he's, he's furry and has a bushy tail and eats nuts. And they're like, well, the answer must be Jesus because we asked this in Sunday school. But just showing that's where these things in Scripture, uh, that Scripture itself is building towards something, or the Old Testament in particular is building towards something beyond itself. And it's, it's Jesus. He casts the shadow. He's the substance and he casts the shadow back behind him. And um, she's starting to get that and just realized that recently. I was like, Lord, thank you. She's starting to... So I, I think... It can be modeled, too, just from the, the overall teaching ministry of the church, what's coming from the pulpit. And because when we preach, we are, are teaching in a public setting. We're showing people how to handle the Bible themselves. And so just modeling that well for parents. And um, I think that's also a very, very important factor. Well, it's been a fruitful conversation. Tony, thank you for your take on this. I know you, you take these kind of things pretty seriously, and you've thought about it carefully, and you guys are implementing a lot of those kind of things to help uh, both when children are at the church, but also when they're at home, and how we can pass on this great plan of what God is doing. And again, this this is not just so that children's heads will be filled with facts, and they, they won't be you know end up on embarrassing statistics or something, but that they will know this God who makes promises and who has the power and the authority and the goodness to see it through, and they can put their confidence in Him. But as always, check us out on SoundCloud or on iTunes and like, share, review these episodes, and you can find previous episodes of the Theological Family Ministry podcast, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thank you.